Welcome to Primity, where we find simple techniques to help address modern problems for our primitive bodies. My name is Andrew Pafford, and I'm a health and wellness professional with over a decade of experience helping Olympic-level athletes, desk jockeys, and seniors achieving their goals and improving their quality of life. While speaking with one of my clients the other day, we happened onto the topic of sunscreen. Now that spring has set in and outdoor activities are abound, my attention, especially as a father, has been set towards making sure I stave off harmful UV rays for myself and my children. What events led to the advent of sunscreen? How does it work? And what are the potential ramifications of using sunscreen? And of course, what are possible alternatives to keep us and our environment safe? I'll encourage you to reference the show notes at this point because the NIH has a wonderful study that has done a timeline on the history of sunscreen. Those of you too busy to peruse, we as humans ultimately have a history with using natural products to protect ourselves from the sun's harmful rays. The Egyptians used rice bran, jasmine, and lupin, all later shown to have some positive effects at staving off UV or healing the skin. The ancient Greeks used olive oil, which later was determined to actually have an SPF of 8. And as we get closer to present day, more popular names such as Coco Chanel and Eugene Schuler, the founder of L'Oreal, had a hand in developing products offering protection from the sun. However, it's not until 1978 does the FDA begin regulating sunscreen and things containing PABA, or para-aminobenzoic acid, the popular active ingredient at the time. The FDA begins regulating PABA and para de PABA derivatives. Interestingly, in 2019, two researchers found that two active ingredients in sunscreen, oxobenzone and octanoxate, to be linked to the bleaching of coral reefs. There was enough evidence present, so much so that Hawaii went so far as to pass a bill banning the sale of sunscreens containing those ingredients statewide. So as it stands, we actually have data that shows previous iterations of sunscreen were not great for the environment. But what about us? Well, more recently, a study was done by Dr. Mata and others analyzing blood plasma levels to see what extent the active ingredients were being absorbed by the body. Currently, the FDA has limits set saying that any systemic absorption greater than 0.5 nanograms per milliliter need to undergo toxicology assessments, including those regarding carcinogenicity and reproductive studies. In layman's terms, if the ingredients are absorbed and shown to get over that threshold, then they need to be studied to see if they can cause cancer, birth defects, or a bevy of other maladies. In this particular study, four types of sunscreens were used two sprays, a lotion, and a cream. The names of the products were not provided, but it's the ingredients that we were mostly looking to and not necessarily the name brand. Each of the sunscreens was applied four times per day for four days. And now while that may sound overboard, as a former lifeguard, I can tell you adult swim happened at my pool every hour. And this wasn't just to make people rest or help the lifeguard shift, but also to force children out of the pool to give the adults time to reapply sunscreen. Since most people going to the pool or the beach tend to make a bit of a day out of it, three to four applications of sunscreen for being at the pool for four to five hours is by no means a stretch of the imagination. 
Additionally, four active ingredients from those different types of sunscreens were measured. Avabenzone, oxybenzone, octocrylene, and acamsule. So, four different types, four different ingredients across four different days. But the researchers didn't get too far into the study because after one day of application, all four of those ingredients exceeded the 0.5 nanograms per milliliter threshold established by the FDA. Avabenzone ranged between 1.8 and 4.0. Oxybenzone ranged between 169 and 209 nanograms per milliliter. Octocrylene ranged from 2.9 to 7.8. And Ecamsule, which was only in the cream, registered at 1.5. What this was a clear sign was that all of these ingredients are not just moderately absorbed by the body, but readily absorbed by the body. After one day of standard application, they were found to be in large amounts in the bloodstream, some more than others. However, that threshold is set by the FDA because certain compounds have been shown to have deleterious effects on the body at those small measures. While these particular compounds are not yet known if they have deleterious effects, others have, and therefore that threshold has been set low to make sure any compounds that exceed that threshold need to undergo testing to make sure they are not. Now, obviously we've established that they need to. So, looking into one of those ingredients, at least one of the more popular ones, is avabenzone. The first ingredient measured in the last study, which was shown to have one interesting effect from a study that I was able to find, it wanted to see how avabenzone affected the genes of keratinocytes, or to put plainly, the layer of skin that grows the rest of your skin. We have about eight different layers of skin, and the bottommost layer is what effectively produces the skin, and then as it starts to grow out, sort of like rings in a tree, well, I guess backwards, the top layers then die, so the top layer of your skin is actually dead, making it harder for bacteria and viruses to infect you. So if these keratinocytes are affected, it stands to reason that every skin cell that they produce will in turn be affected. What was discovered was that the genes in the keratinocyte cells that were affected by the avabenzone significantly altered its lipid metabolism or the way that it utilizes or produces fat. More specifically, it was positively correlated with adipogenesis, or the making of new adipose tissue. The authors concluded that avabenzone promotes adipogenesis and has a role as an obesogen in disrupting metabolic functioning. Now we could do a deep dive into all of the different ingredients, but that's getting a little bit lost in the weeds because I want to step back from the edge of the rabbit hole for a moment before we dive too far in and say that all of these ingredients that were studied are organic compounds. And these are at a greater likelihood for interaction with the body. Many sunscreens currently have begun using inorganic ingredients. So before we go knocking the organic ones too much, let's take a look at the inorganic compounds. Inorganic ingredients in sunscreen are typically derived from some sort of metal, such as zinc or titanium. At some point, 
people made some loose connections to Alzheimer's and sunscreen. What? Don't know where that came from, but the theory logic train goes accordingly. Some studies have shown that patients with Alzheimer's disease have been shown to have increased levels of aluminum in certain parts of their brain. The data also shows that the cases of Alzheimer's disease are on the rise. Whether it was from changes in our environment, increasing in population, thus the number of cases would rise, but the rate would technically remain constant, or we've simply improved in diagnosing or documenting cases with improvements in medicine so that it would stand to reason we have more recorded cases of Alzheimer's, albeit we aren't actually getting necessarily more cases at a higher rate than we were. We don't know. However, one school of thought feels that the cases are going up because of environmental factors with humans doing what we do best and turning the environment against us, it would seem, with some feeling that the titanium in our products might very well be absorbed by the body and thus contributing to the onset of Alzheimer's. Now, that's a pretty serious accusation and a scary one, so personally, I wanted to get to the root of this matter. And while typically it would be better safe than sorry to avoid those, at this point, avoiding sunscreen to potentially avoid getting Alzheimer's and in turn exposing yourself to harmful UVs is just a good recipe to get cancer. So now we're stuck between a cognitive disease and a life-threatening disease hard place scenario. What we don't have to worry about choosing is the good news. One study we found sought to measure the penetration of inorganic compounds through the skin, namely titanium oxide and zinc oxide, the favorite active inorganic ingredients in many sunscreens. With this data, we could glean the potential for systemic absorption. You can look to the show notes for a link to the study, but the short of it was that there was little sign of penetration beyond the upper layers of skin and no sign of penetration down to the keratinocytes, with the bulk of the compounds getting stuck in your pores. This is fantastic news for those looking to enjoy the summer, but don't want any negative effects from certain ingredients from their sunscreen. So to recap, if it's not being absorbed down to the, if there's no presence of it down at the bottommost level of your skin, it's not being absorbed through your skin, so it's not getting into your bloodstream by wiping it on. You would have to eat it or stab yourself with it if you wanted it in your bloodstream. So, good news. Sunscreens with inorganic compounds are safe to use. There's also data that shows that the inorganic compounds are even more effective at blocking transmittance of the UV rays than it's organic brethren, so it's even more effective. Now, a final option, if you don't want to use sunscreen, do does UV-resistant clothing work? While you would still need sunscreen if you wanted to strip down and enjoy the sun and surf, many of the activities that we do on a day-to-day -day basis outside involve us keeping our clothes on. So instead of having to get sticky all the time, it would just be easier to throw on UV-resistant clothing. But is one superior than the other? Is it worth needing to double up? Fortunately, data is abound, and the clear winner is clothing. Not only is it much faster to don with no need to reapply and no need to get sticky, 
The data also shows that sunscreen at higher wavelengths is not as effective and allows more transmittance of UV into the body. On a wavelength scale, UVB is closer to 300 nanometers and UVA is closer to 400. So we're looking at 300 to 400 nanometers on a scale. Most organic ingredients in sunscreen lose their effectiveness after about 340 nanometers. And even then, they start at 20 to 30% transmittance and then increase from there. In this case, the higher the percent, the more sun is getting in. Most inorganic compounds, however, or inorganic ingredients, hover between 10 to 20% transmittance throughout the entire scale, regardless of how of where you are on that wavelength. Most clothing materials, however, allow for 0% transmittance and only once approaching the maximum end of the scale close to 400 nanometers, do they then start to allow 10 to 15%. So in every regard, clothing is the superior option with the caveat of wanting to actually close on. Now that was a lot of information today. I did my best not to go too deep for fear of losing you, but I wanted to set some frameworks and baselines to give this information some credence. I do highly encourage you to look in the show notes for the studies that we've posted, so that way you can review the data yourself. With that, let's review what we discussed today. Excessive sun exposure is detrimental to our health, and we have a long history of finding ways to protect our skin, trying to use natural products. Sunscreen has gone through various iterations, and some have been not so good for the environment, and others may not be so good for us. Testing has shown that organic ingredients in the sunscreen are readily absorbed by the body, and they need to undergo toxicity testing and other testing in accordance with FDA guidelines. It's not clear whether all ingredients have and what those results are yet. Data shows that inorganic compounds are not absorbed through the skin, and people shouldn't have to worry about metal toxicity through this particular mechanism. Sunscreens using inorganic ingredients are superior to the organic ones anyways, and they should be the preferred choice. So check those ingredient labels before you buy. Finally, UV-resistant clothing is even better than sunscreen and should be the go-to option for maximum effectiveness for staying safe in the sun when clothing is applicable. Thank you so much for the intriguing questions. I had a lot of fun researching this topic and learned a little bit more about our sunscreens and its history. If you have any other health-related questions, comments, or considerations, please email us at info at And as always, strength comes in many forms, from within and without. So be strong to be useful. Take care and stay strong.